Getting hitched? There's a podcast for that, and you're listening to it. The Save the Date Wedding Podcast, the number one podcast about all things wedding Save the Date is hosted by comedian, author, and all-around wedding lover, Alicia McCormack. I am the first to admit it took me well into my 20s to get my head around money because no one really ever taught me how to look after it. When you think about it, we learn about maths at school, but not really anything about personal finances. So in my 20s, I got my paws on a credit card and with student loans and a big relationship breakup that I think you've heard the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. I was left with quite a lot of debt. And uh, I will say that my guest today really helped me get out of it. And she wouldn't even know that because she's never talked to me before. But I want to thank her very much in advance. I was scared of receiving those envelopes with windows on it. You know what I'm talking about, the nasty envelopes that says, we want your money. And I really had the out of sight, out of mind whole mentality. Ginger Dean is a self-taught personal financial guru who I've, as I said, been following for years. She's the founder of girlsjustwannahavefuns.com, possibly the sassiest website name in the entire planet, can I just say. It's an online community dedicated to helping women manage their funds. With a degree in forensic psychology, she's been described as, quote, shrink and a debt shrinker. I invited her to be on the show today to help you think differently about money, change your tude, and uh, hopefully empower you to get your shit in gear. Really? That's what I'm going to say. Welcome to the show, Ginger. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I love the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I wanted people to go, yeah, I want to listen to this and actually be excited about learning about money, because I know a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to think about it, and then just put it in a cupboard. So it's really important to me that to have you on because I really enjoy what you do. Thank you. Ginger, can we talk about where you started out and why this website started? Because I know you've been running it for quite a long time now. Well, in terms of the website itself, I picked up the website in 2003 after reading a book of the same name, Girls Just Want to Have Funds. And really, I got that idea because I had gone through some financial difficulty in college. Mm -hmm. I I got myself into some credit card debt. And I had to call my mom and ask her to pay off the debt. And so she kept on talking to me about saving for a rainy day, paying off the bill at the end of the month. And I just kept on saying to myself, well, why don't I know this? And yeah. so I, I don't, I mean, it was 2003. So of course the internet was there. So, I mean, I ordered the book. I went online, looked at books for personal finance, but it was specifically a book called Girls Just Want to Have Funds. And I read that book and she wrote it in such a way that it wasn't about like lipstick jargon. She really gave it to me in a way that helped me to understand it. Just me being a woman um, and needing to understand how not planning financially properly was going to hurt me down the line. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll just get the website and it was available. And I, I snatched it up and that's pretty much where it started. I officially turned it into a personal finance blog in 2007. And so that's when, you know, the personal finance aspect of it started up. I really like your honesty and your openness about getting into debt because I'm always saying you've got to own this stuff because you can't help other people unless you sort of say, hey, I made mistakes or, hey, I got into this situation. And and, and what I think is really important, and I was in a similar situation, that student loans, you you go to university to get ahead, whereas – it's getting ahead in education-wise, but you're going backwards with money. And it's a situation I'm sure 90% of my listeners and 100% of your readers are probably in. So it's it's very common, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very common because 
I just think as women, we're socialized to really feel like, well, we're supposed to take care of the home and the guy's supposed to, you know, make bring home the bacon and we're just supposed to manage it. And I think that's great. It works for a lot of couples. I don't have anything against it. But I think we also have to look at the other side that we have to make sure that we know just as much about what's going on with the money and not be in a situation where, you know, if he's no longer around, if something happens to him, then what do you know about your finances such that you'd be able to manage it just as well? And so I find that even in psychotherapy, a lot of my readers, they don't really know, for instance, how much the mortgage is because their husbands manage everything. There's nothing wrong with your husband managing everything, but there's also no reason why you, you shouldn't know how much, you know, is being spent on the mortgage, how much should be spent on groceries, or, you know, what are the things that are going out of your account, not having access to your online bank account. And those are things that I constantly see, but they're just too afraid to speak up and really ask that they have equal management or just knowledge of the finances in their household. So that really scares me to think that, I mean, we're in, we're so lucky to be living in this time where I, you know, feminism is, you know, equality and feminism is out there. It's not like we have to fight. Well, we do. Let's be honest. We're not getting equal wages. It's not completely on. It's not yeah. completely. <laughs> I'm not going to try and flower it up too much. I'm hoping our children will be living in a much more equal, um, financially, especially sort of situation. But like you said on on the blog numerous times, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here because I know I talk about wedding planning and it's a really happy time, but financial issues are often cited as the top reason for divorce and separation. And exactly what you just said then, if you aren't in the situation of understanding where you stand from the get-go, it can be pretty dangerous down the track if you have to fall into those sort of situations. Yes. I mean, I even just, I mean, as you, you, you probably know this, but I was recently divorced. And I remember planning for my divorce and saying, I wanted to, you know, find this, well, disentangle myself from my ex-husband completely. Mm. I thought that I did, but just like some recent issues even came up and I thought to myself, these are the things that we should know. We should know how deep our financial um, ties are. You know, if we don't know that information, then we're going to be screwed down the line. And so I even just had to learn a pretty difficult lesson myself and just learning, okay, so I didn't know that we had this financial connection still and just, and just even now working to correct that. So, and sometimes it can just be that, not that we're intentionally being ignorant about it. It could just be that, Hey, we just don't know the information. Just like I didn't know all the things I should have known in college about not running up a credit card bill because we're not taught that information in high school, which we should be. Yeah, we should. You t- and I just find that so bizarro that we've taught basic arithmetic, but also going, Here, <laughs> here's what interest rates means. Because honestly, I would say if I hit, did a straw poll, hit the hit the streets and said to people, how much credit, how much interest are you being charged on your credit card? I think we'd be pretty shocked as to how many people would actually know the answer to that question. You're right. You're right. Because half of us don't know about how much interest we're being charged. Just to know, you know, a plus X equals Y, and we're supposed to know what Y is. But the most important thing that really will guide us into retirement, into our golden years, is knowing those things, knowing how much interest we're going to charge, knowing how much, you know, what sort of return are we going to get on our money in the 401k. You know, things like that we're just not really taught in college. And yet, sadly, we have to learn that after going through some sort of financial crisis when we're forced to look at it. Do you think, uh, I mean, my most of my listeners, and I'm making a big assumption here, are females, they're planning a wedding, they're probably in their 20s and 30s, maybe 40s going into second marriages or third marriages. 
I meet a lot of young women who just don't seem very interested in money, don't give a shit about money, but don't really want to talk about it and find it boring. And that I find really frustrating because I think you should be empowered and take charge. And it doesn't mean you have to be earning millions of pounds and dollars to do that. What is it about this generation? I sound like a nana, right? I'm getting a bit old lady. <laughs> that say ah I don't care oh what is it about that it's funny you said that because I'm doing a redesign of the website and part of my introduction says I write about money issues that women don't want to talk about and I think it's because we're not socialized to talk about money we're not socialized to want to make the money to manage the money to invest the money to grow the money And I think that a lot of us are still being taught that, well, you're going to wait for Prince Charming and he's going to come along and he's just going to take care of you. And I think for a lot of women, yes, that happens. But for a good majority of women, they go through issues, whether they stay in or they get out of their marriages, within the marriages, that, hey, you have to know about your money. And so we put our heads in the sand and we say, well, you know, I think I'll just let him manage it. But I really believe that just as men are just sort of socialized to say, well, you're going to take care of the family, you're going to take care of the home, you need to have a job. And so that's where their minds and hearts are geared towards. Whereas some women, they're taught, well, yeah, you can go to grad school, you can get your education, but you need to marry a man that, you know, will take care, good care of you. There's nothing wrong with that. However, you need to make sure that you know just as much as he does about the money. You need to make sure that you are just as much in the know. And I think because... We're not really socialized to do so. We just sort of ignore it and just pretend that it's not happening, that we don't need to know anything about it. Yeah, I think that's a really easy decision to make for a lot of people until they, you know, shit hits the fan and they have to really make some positive, well, Yeah, I don't know if you guys get the show um, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah, there was was an episode quite a few years ago that always stuck with me. Um, I even have it up on the Facebook page. Um, it was a woman who she'd been in an act, she'd been in an accident with her husband and she didn't know where the insurance card was. She didn't know what the number to the insurance company was because he needed critical surgery. However, the insurance was going to terminate at midnight and it was like 15 and they said to her, well, can you call the insurance company and do what you need to do to get this policy to be extended? And she says, well, but I don't know where the insurance cards are. I don't know where anything is. And I just thought this is exactly the issue that I speak to because why don't you know where the insurance card is? Why don't you have a copy of the insurance card? Um, and that, that just always stuck with me because I think that you're a human being. You should know, you should know basic things that control and run your life, such Absolutely. as insurance. Yeah. You can't just, I think coming into a couple and into a relationship to then just relinquish, a lot of us are single sassy ladies before you get into a couple. And it's interesting to see that sort of attitude change when you get into a couple and go, ah, oh, someone else is going to figure it out. Someone yeah. else will make the decision. <laughs> it's yep. so weird. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess that that sort of attitude, I mean, it doesn't necessarily work in a relationship, but I think you still have to take that attitude towards different parts of your relationship, you know? Like, you do have to have the drive and motivation to want to know about your money. You probably shouldn't have the attitude that, well, you're going to overtake your husband and continue to be, like, Miss Sassy and just have him feeling like, well, he's not needed. 
But you need to also show him that you're just as much an equal partner in your finances, whether you stay at home or whether or not you bring home a, a paycheck. Yeah, that's a really good point because it is, you know, we, we're getting into that sort of period in our lives where you uh, might decide to start a family and have maternity leave or mm-hmm. stay at home full time. But that doesn't mean you have to relinquish any, and I say the word control, I don't necessarily mean control as in a dominatrix style control, but some sort of going, hey, I understand where this all is. Also, I see marriage and relationships and partnerships as t- a team. You've got to be a part of a team and have equal um responsibilities i suppose when it comes to financial decisions yeah yeah well let's talk about emotions and money because i think that is fascinating i know a lot of people eat their feelings we'll have a packet of biscuits and they're not feeling good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think we've probably all done that but a lot of women especially go to the shopping mall or go to the shopping center instead when they're not feeling good or they're a bit bored or something what is it about spending money that makes us feel so good? Because I think that it just feeds a part of our souls that we're just have, we just have deep voids. I mean, I'm no stranger to, if I've had a hard week, um, I can't come home to a whole, uh, you know, a quart of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, <laughs> strawberry, and be okay with that. You know, it's just as long as I'm not doing it constantly but will I do that once a month twice a month sure and I think it's the same thing with money we call it retail therapy obviously Mm. and so we'll go out and we'll shop and we'll just buy stuff but I think we have to pay attention to how we're feeling in the moment for some of us it's the mall I personally hate the mall but for me it'll be amazon.com you'll hear me say this all the time Amazon Prime is quite possibly the best and the worst thing to happen to my wallet because if I literally want something right now and, the, you know, the, the warehouse is nearby, I'll get it by 9 o'clock tonight, you know, or I can get it by tomorrow. But I also have to check myself and say, well, am I buying this just because I'm bored or because I'm feeling sad? Or do I really, really need this? Like, for instance, this month I'm actually on a spending fast because I got a little bit caught up with um, – amazon.com orders earlier this year so i think that we really just have to be honest with ourselves about what is it that we're feeling right now what is it that we're trying to um fill because again we we all have had the experience where we've gone out bought clothes bought shoes ordered some things online even if it was a sale and it gets there and we never open it we don't even take it off we don't even take the tags off which means that we never wear it Mm. so the question becomes did you even need it so that's why I think that we get into trouble because we're not mindful about the emotions that are driving the purchases. Yeah, and it is so easy to, as you said, a click now is all it takes and it's 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 done, the money's gone, and often you find returning things can be annoying even though you'll get your 40 bucks back or whatever. So yeah. it, is, it is so easy to do that now, isn't it? Yep, it is. I mean, I would rather keep it and look at it in my closet than have to send it back or go back to the mall. So, I mean, once we buy it, we're sort of just committed to it. And how many girlfriends do we know that you can walk into their closet and see stuff with tags still on it from oh, yeah. a year or two ago? So, totally. yeah. Well, look, there are and look, there are so many solutions. I'm going to ask you straight after this. We are, I, we, the proverbial we, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, talking to the lovely Ginger Dean. She is the CEO and founder of GirlsJustWannaHaveFuns.com. There'll be more from Ginger after this. We are talking all things money, and uh, I know your parents probably said to you, "Oh, it's rude to talk about money," but today it's not. It's on the table. The rudeness is gone. Ginger Dean, what is the deal about not talking about money? It is a sort of a social thing, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've been socialized to say, well, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about how much money we make. We don't talk about how much money we have. You know, women, you'll find that if we're in a, we could be in a crowded cafeteria and each of us are being paid different amounts, but we'll never talk about it and we'll never admit it. <laughs> but you'll find the same guys in the same cafeteria and they're all talking about how much money they make, how they can get more. And if someone else isn't making more, they'll tell them, you need to make more and you need to go and ask for more from this person. They'll help each other. But woman, no, we'll sit there and we'll be like, "Mm -hmm, we're not going to talk about it because we're just, we just don't talk about money. Um, And I think that's why we were told that it's, I guess, taboo to talk about it. But I've just never really understand why it's taboo when if you're supposed to be making $50,000, but you're only making forty five. You're for every year that you're on that job, you're making fifteen thousand dollars less and fifteen thousand dollars extra in your bank account over the course of maybe ten years. Uh, that's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that, that you're missing out money. just because you don't want to talk about it. And I just find it silly that we just don't want to. I mean, even the issue of like financial abuse, no one wants to talk about it. And admittedly, and understandably, it's something that a lot of women are ashamed of. But I think that if we were to be, if we were talking more about money and what's normal and what's acceptable, a lot of women wouldn't get caught up in these relationships where, you know, if she doesn't act right, then she doesn't get the $5 that she needs to go and buy deodorant. When we're talking about financial abuse, I sort of read, this is the most popular article on your website. Can you just sort of talk about what financial abuse is? Because again, I think this is something that isn't reported very much in the media. It's not a pretty subject to talk about, but I would say that there are people listening that are probably in, in the midst of this right now, which makes me really sad. So what is it and how do we fix it? Financial abuse can manifest itself in any number of ways. So, for example, if you, you know, if you're a woman and your husband, for instance, doesn't allow you to have access to the bank account. I know someone who, for instance, she works. I won't say what she does, but she works. Her husband works. Um, her paycheck is deposited into their joint, into an account. I'll say I don't think it's joint. It's an account. She does not have access to that account. She is not allowed to spend money from that account unless he gives her the money or unless he transfers the money, unless he transfers the money onto a card from that account. She doesn't know how much the mortgage is. She doesn't know how much their health insurance is. She just, she only knows how much money he gives her. And if she spends $5 over on the grocery bill, it's hell to pay. Mm. And so that's a form of financial abuse. Um, for instance, if you're a stay at home mom and he controls every penny that you spend. You don't know anything about the money. That's, those are examples of financial abuse. And again, they can manifest themselves in different ways. But I think it's the number one searched um, article on the site because I think a lot of women are quietly suffering. Mm. And no one really knows what to call it. They just know that they're in a situation where they can't leave because they don't have control of the money. They don't have any resources outside of the husband. And hey, they may be making money, but in the situation that I just gave you, she doesn't even have access to her own money that she's making. That makes me like my skin crawl, but also (laughs) in the sense that I just, as we've said, we feel we're in this sort of age of empowerment, but there are so many women, especially that are are not empowered at all. It's the reverse. They, they, they're trapped. That just, mm-hmm. I feel so sad for them. Yeah. Yeah. They're not allowed to have, you know, bank accounts, no debit cards, no savings accounts, you know, everything just comes from their partner. And, and to me, some people may say, well, you know, that works for our marriage, 
But I'll challenge them by asking them this. If you are getting divorced, how does that serve you? If your husband is in the hospital on his deathbed and you don't have access to anything financial, how is that a partnership and how does that serve you? And so often when I hear from these women, they say, oh, that's fine. It's okay. Um, no, it's not okay because that's not a partnership. And you're only saying that it's okay because you don't want to stir the pot. And you have to understand that at some point the pot does get stirred. And when it does get stirred, you have to figure out, well, how do you get out, get out of the fire? Yeah. And so you can't figure out now that this isn't a partnership. And if it all comes down to it, you don't have the access when you need to have it. You're screwed. Yeah. And I just also think if you are turning a blind eye now, like you said, it's only going to bite you in the ass in the future. And also it's just not very smart. It's it's like saying, you know, if you were contributing money to a relationship and you don't know where it's going or what it's happening, yeah, you and of course we can't judge people's, uh, as you said, physically abusive or verbally abusive. If you're in that sort of situation. That's a whole nother awful mm-hmm. sort of avenue that you have to go down. But if you are in a a one on one good team, but you're being uh, being sort of blind to what's happening here, you've really only got yourself to blame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another example of it is um, threats of leaving. Let's just say you are the stay at home partner. And you know you don't have any money or resources outside of this person, but that person keeps on threatening to leave you. And you have no other way, you have no other choice but to accept the abuse. Now, the abuse can be emotional, physical, but where it becomes financial is if you don't act right, I'm going to leave you. If you don't act right, then I'm not going to give you money for our basic necessities. Um, And so you even have the man who lets, for instance, let's say the woman is working and he's at home, right? Mm -hmm. She has to give him all the money. Because he refuses to work, right? And so it comes in, I mean, it, it manifests itself in so many different ways. And under, I understand why many women don't know what to call it. But I often say that if it doesn't feel right, like if you know in your gut this just doesn't feel right, but yet I continue to stay, there's a problem. Because love doesn't feel like that. Love doesn't do that. No, that's so right. Very well put. Um so, Ginger, a lot of my lovely listeners are entering into happy times, hopefully, but we've got to be yeah. realistic. But thinking about where they stand right now, what are some of the advice you could give to some of my lovely listeners entering new relationships, entering sort of legal unions when it comes to being honest and open about money? What's the best way to start that sort of financial standing as a duo? I think making sure that you're asking and dealing with all the hard questions up front. Yep. Um, for example, what immediately comes to mind, for instance, in a blended family, um, does your new partner have to pay child support? You know, how much is that child support? If for whatever reason they're on hard times, are you expected to cover their child support? Um, other questions you should be asking, basic questions really. What's the credit look like? You know, are they intentionally and purposefully um, – irresponsible when it comes to their obligations. And I always make this correlation, a man or a woman who's intentionally irresponsible when it comes to their financial obligations will be the same towards you. This means if they're intentionally spending and maxing out credit cards with no intention of paying them back, you have to look at a, look at that as a sign of character. Love will not solve everything. You need to make sure that you're having the hard conversations up front. I'm all for being in love and Um, having that be the core of your marriage, but it's not enough to keep your marriage intact if you're not looking at some of the more serious issues. So, again, asking about credit issues, 
Um, there are other legal issues such as child support. You know, will there be a prenup? Um, do you, you know, will you be expected to sign a postnup, for instance? Um, will you buy a house? How much do you expect to, you know, to spend on a house? How much do you expect to spend on groceries? You'd be surprised how many petty arguments can just torpedo a marriage because we're not talking about these things. And I mean, I think that we feel like, well, we shouldn't have to talk about these things because we'll just get over it. But Mm -hmm. some couples don't, which is why they end up in divorce. And you're right. Some people divorce over the pettiest things on the outside, but it really is. Those issues are huge issues to them, which is why they're divorcing in the first place. So they're not so petty after all. I've got friends that I've known for years and watched them and, you know, girlfriends that you have these conversations with about, you know, fights they've had with their husbands and boyfriends. And I've got friends that have had the same fight for years and years and it's all relating to money. It's all about, you know, who's spending what and, you know, attitudes to going, well, I worked harder than you, so I should get this. It's really mind-boggling, I think, when they started the relationship, perhaps they didn't have a conversation and it's just been that same bitchy problem for the past yeah. 10 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's it's a cycle though isn't it it just goes around and around until you sort of sit down and go hey what are we going to do here how are we going to solve this problem yeah and i just find that those arguments are just signs of deeper issues you know it could be control it could be childhood issues that have been unresolved you know what i mean so when you see a couple doing that over and over and over again it's because they're just being triggered because they're being reminded of something from their past usually Um, And I just find it interesting when, you know, couples, for instance, argue over how to dry the dishes. You know, that's, you know, petty arguments like that can torpedo a marriage. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, people may think it's overkill to ask all these questions. But I think the folks who ask those questions, they're better off because they know what to expect and you know what's expected of them. Yeah, it's not a sign of weakness. Honesty is not a sign of weakness and being openness. I, I always say... You know, whether you're dealing with bridesmaids or whether you're talking to your parents or your partner, if you are honest and open, at least you know where you stand. It can be uncomfortable, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to end up well for you. Yeah, I mean, if you know going in that this is how this person feels about paying that debt, let's just say you feel that, well, you should pay off the card every single month, but they feel they don't want to pay the card off every single month because they want to get, for instance, the points or the miles, for instance, but they're paying you know, interest over the course of several months. That can be a pretty deep, that can be a pretty deep argument for a lot of people because if you're very, if you're clinging to the idea that debt must be paid off every single month and this person's just like, well, I want the airline points, that, that argument can torch, can really poke holes in your marriage and in your relationship. So ask ahead of time, how do you feel about doing this? So that, you know, if it does happen that you guys are thinking about separating, you can at least say, yeah, well, you know, we talked about this and I knew going in, this is how he felt about it. Mm. Um, I have read some shocking accounts on your website. And I just want to say to my listeners, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers here. We're not trying to be saying it's all going to end in doom and gloom, but it's, it's, it's knowledge is power. There's an old saying here, but I have read some accounts on your website about STD, sexually transmitted deaths. We love that. Um, but... <laughs> You know, partners running up awful amounts of debt in their other in their partner's name, using mis misusing credit cards. How do you protect yourself from that when it comes to when you're in a partnership? Is it possible to protect yourself from that, or is it just generally trusting the other person not to ruin things for you? It's gonna have to. You know, I'm a psychotherapist, so I have to say that it's gonna definitely come down to trusting your partner that they won't be a jerk and <laughs> use your social security number 
or your birth date and everything else to, you know, run up cards in your name. So, I mean, it can be, you know, I mean, you can go into a relationship trusting someone and they just turn out to be a nightmare. But, but there are always signs that, you know, that person, the person just doesn't, they don't really ever turn in from Prince Charming into the devil. You've seen sign of the devil in them, but you've just chosen not to pay attention to it. I love you. So, I, mean, I love that trusting your gut too. I think you are so right. So much yeah. of life comes on that feeling you get in your tummy where you just go, this isn't good. It's really easy to push that down, but you should trust it more often. And I think if we look at it, a lot of dating advice out there. I mean, I love, I do love books like, um, what is it called? Um, Why Men Marry Bitches. I love the book. <laughs> But there are other books out there um, that, for instance, teach us not to say anything. We're just supposed to remain quiet. If we see something that we're not necessarily okay with, we're just taught to say, okay, but if we want to get the ring, we'll shut up and we'll not talk about it, Mm. right? And I think that sort of advice is what cajoles many of us into silence because then we get into these marriages and these relationships where it's like, well, I didn't want to say anything because I just wanted to get down the aisle and I just wanted to get the ring. And now you have the ring. But he's turned from Prince Charming into the devil. And you knew this the whole time, but you just wanted to get the ring. So therefore you jumped into the relationship and now you're paying for it. No ring is worth being married to a dickhead, honestly. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said that, not Ginger. <laughs> She's much more professional than me, but I can say that. <laughs> Trust me, I have been engaged to one and it didn't work out. And I'm really much better with my my, you know, I was going to say my current husband. It sounds like I'm going to have a line of husbands. I'm hoping to stick with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Ginger, lastly, I I, I mean, there's so many things I could talk to you about. And I will say to my lovely listeners, I have been a subscriber to Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You do an amazing email, um, email subscription where you you email all these sort of great articles. Here's a, I've just found a a little selection here and they're not all, um, necessarily about well their personal finance but here's a couple whole foods on the cheap 25 items cheaper at whole foods i had read that and went oh my gosh i thought whole foods was really expensive there you go how to stop hiding from your debt conquering it all at once once and for all i think that's fantastic and also my favorite he used a coupon on our first date does he get a second chance oh my (laughs) god (laughs) you should see the one we just talked about the other day about um we talked about the guy who, for instance, wants to take you on a really, really cheap date on the first t- on the first date. Like, for instance, I don't know if you guys have chilies over there, but that's what the discussion centered around. Like the look we give the guy when he pulls into chilies on the first right, date. So it's we like talk- a fast food restaurant, isn't it? Chilies. It's, it's sort like- of like an Applebee's, like right. you know- yeah, and so it's not about chilies. It's about the lack of creativity for me. Like, I would rather go walk around in Washington, D.C. by the title basin to have you sit there and take me to chilies. Yeah. Because I would rather you just put more thought into the date rather than tell me, well, let's go to chilies, let's go to Starbucks and sit down and talk to each other and get to know each other right beside the people who are trying to order their coffee. So that was one of the um, the more the more controversial articles that we had recently. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, it's, it's, it's always so entertaining, but I always learn so much and I, it sort of really puts a fire under my bottom to go, oh, okay. Even though I think I've got my financial, I, I mean, I'm always learning about financial stuff. And I think even though I've got it sort of in order now, I think I'm much better than I was five years ago. And I am always learning from you. So it, it's such a pleasure to speak to you and, and learn. And I really hope that my listeners have, have, um, felt inspired to, to learn more as well. Yeah, I hope they are. I hope they will be. Um, they can check me out um, on girlsjustwantohavefuns.com. 
Yes, and uh, following, I, I love your Twitter account. It's Ginger Latte is your yes. uh, Twitter account because also you, you link to all of your um, articles too and that's where I sort of click on sometimes when I'm just yeah. just scanning. I used, a, I used to have an addiction to Starbucks Ginger Latte, so that's where <laughs> it comes from. <laughs> Hey, last tip, Ginger. So planning weddings, you've got quite a few wedding-based articles on the site, and I will link to them in my show blog so you can check it out as well. But your final thoughts on wedding budgets and how much people – I'm asking a very loaded question, but how much people blow on a, a wedding? What do you think the mentality is and how do we fix that? Um, so I think some women, you know, I'm not going to say if it's right or wrong, if you can afford it, great. Um, but I definitely wouldn't advise, you know, building your wedding on a dream. Like, you know, if you've always thought about well, I want to have the dream wedding where I'm, you know, coming down in a dress that looks like Kate Middleton's. Um, I think regardless of how much money you make, if spending to me $50,000 on a wedding I, I just, I can't, like, I've been married before. I can't see myself doing that ever again. I can't even see myself doing $20,000 for a wedding. Mm. Because I think as you get older, you realize there are things that matter more, such as buying a home, such as retirement, your child's college fund. And so spending $50,000 on a wedding, I just, I, it's not something that I would do. I'm not going to knock other people that do it. But I think that some of us that are more financially conscious would just probably say, eh, I can scale it down and still have a really good time. I had some guests on recently that are wedding planners and they create these things called pop-up weddings. They're sort of fun, fast weddings where you combine, you buy in with maybe four or five other couples to a a, a wedding um, location and they provide the wonderful celebrant and a photographer and so you sort of split the bill it's a great idea oh wow i'd it's, love to can you shoot me an article i sure will i will i will send that to you um and they're australian but they're doing them in hawaii and they've got, they're possibly coming to europe i think it's a fantastic way to get yeah. a kick-ass sort of place but brit the lovely lady i was interviewing said you know when you come down to it when we think about how much people are spending it's saying it's the equivalent like of a full year salary basically for this party which is yeah. I just thought a really great way to put it into perspective that you go to work every day and you don't spend any other money and forget about rent or anything else, but you put all of that money into that day. It just sounds crazy. Yeah, it does. I mean, especially in today's financial climate where nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. Um, I think that, and again, I think it comes from a lot of folks just wanting to build that day based on a dream that they've had for the, you know, over the course of several years. And I think that I'd caution a lot of them to really begin to put a lot of that work, that effort into their marriage as opposed to that one day. Your yes. wedding is one day, but your marriage is forever. And if you don't want to join those of us who've been divorced, you might want to put more energy into making your marriage last rather than making sure that one day goes smoothly. Oh, I thank the financial gods for you, Ginger Dean. You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I really hope we can talk again soon. I think there's so much more that I would love to cover with you. And yeah. there's just, you know, don't be afraid to talk about money. Don't be afraid to, you know, like there's some wonderful articles about saying, don't be afraid to actually discuss your wage. Because, I mean, you know, don't just accept the first thing. Oh, my gosh, I could talk to you all day. Ginger Dean, thank you so much for coming on the Save the Date Wedding Podcast. Please visit girlsjustwannahavefuns.com, subscribe to the wonderful newsletter, and I will put all of these links in my show notes blog at savethedatepodcast.com. Visit it, love, learn. Happy days. Save the Date Wedding Podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.